pray for us as we open God's word this morning. God, what we're about to do here is just another example of your goodness that you would communicate to us in such a clear, objective way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It is so good to know where to have hope. It's so good to know that you are faithful and that we know that because we have your word this morning. And God, I I pray that we would be on the edge of our spiritual seats this morning, anticipating that you're going to speak to us through your spirit and through your word. And I pray you would do that. You know every need in this room You know every trial, you know every joy, you know every temptation. And so I pray you would speak specifically to each person. Tell them exactly what they need to hear this morning. Build your church, I pray. And even as I read your word, help us, God. Help us to understand. Give us understanding. We need you to help us. We won't understand. Then help us to believe and love and respond to your word in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5. This letter is all about how do we live with Jesus while we wait for Jesus? What's it look like for us to live with him and for him while we wait for his return? And this morning, I'm going to, maybe it's a little spoiler, this morning really is about what does it look like for us to keep awake as we wait? Are you awake spiritually this morning and alive spiritually this morning? That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to get there. We've got to see some other things God wants to show us first, but we're going to land there this morning. And so I want to just read to you. Uh, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 5, about this day of the Lord. So this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, Children of the day, we are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. 
For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You okay, Renee? Yeah. Lay hands on you and pray for something? All right. This is God's word to us. We're going to jump right in, and I'm going to share with you uh, three things that he tells us about this day of the Lord. And I pray that these three things um, help fill in our education, I guess, on end times and what they are going to be like. And so number one, as we think about this returning of the Lord, the day of the Lord, just want to start with this, it will happen. It will happen. And so I think God wants to nail this home when he says, verse one, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come. It's going to happen. It is a guarantee. And he's going to come back the same way he left. He left ascending on a cloud, and he's going to come back descending on a cloud. And he's going to bring with him everyone who is asleep in Christ, and then we're going to go up there and meet them in the air. And this is unstoppable. It's going to happen with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of a glorious trumpet. And it will happen. I've got to preach that to me. It's going to happen. I'm either either going to go up when it happens or I'm going to be coming down when it happens. I don't know which, whether I'll be here or not, but it is going to happen. There is going to be a day of the Lord. Now, what you may not be familiar with, what they would be familiar with when they got this, was the day of the Lord is a phrase that they would have been familiar with. Um, We see that phrase uh, throughout Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zephaniah, and Joel. And every time they talk about the day of the Lord, it is a day when God brings judgment on sin and on sinners. So that phrase carries with it judgment. Um, It's a scary time. In fact, I, I read through them and how they use them, and you read phrases like dark clouds, the terror of the Lord, a day of vengeance with a devouring sword. They use language like punishment, wailing, anguish, ruin, devastation, distress, gloom, thick darkness. I mean, if the end of chapter 4 was the happy side of his return, this is the terrifying side of his return. They work together. Last week was sort of the, the happy side. This is the judgment side. This is the scary side. And so God wants us to know that this day of the Lord will happen. It's coming. And Paul tells us in verse 1 that he already made them fully aware of what they needed to know about the times and the seasons. So they have no need for anyone to write to them about them. No need for anyone or anything specific about the times or the seasons because we don't know the time and the seasons And he already told them when he was with them that we don't know the time or the seasons. But for some reason, they're still asking because we want to know, don't we? Please tell me. But we don't. 
So when books like 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988 is published, don't be part of the 4.5 million people who bought a copy. Don't bother. Because a year later, he just had to put out why it's going to be 1989. Because obviously, it didn't happen. Because we just don't know the times. And, and don't ruin it for us, because as soon as you predict a day, then we know that's not the day it's going to happen. <laughs> so please, everyone, stop predicting. So that we don't have to worry. So this is this day of the Lord. There's things he doesn't tell us, God doesn't tell us, but there's things he does tell us. And so here I want to jump into two more things he does tell us, other than it just, it will happen. And the next one is in verse 2. If you look there, here's, here's something else we know about that day. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And I think the point of this is how does a thief come? Does he text you first and say he's on his way? No, it's a surprise. You're surprised by it. So I think that's the point of him using the thief language, which could be seen as negative, right? A thief coming is not a positive thing, but he's using it to make a positive point that it's going to be a surprise. That's how thieves come, unannounced, unexpected. They don't tell you they're coming. And so that's what he says is going to happen. And then he clarifies it. And he says in verse 4, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. So he starts now to, to separate two groups of people. People are in light and people who are in darkness. He says, you're in the light, you're not in the, the darkness. So it's not going to be a surprise for you. You won't be surprised. You who are in the light, you're anticipating it to happen. You're expecting it to happen. So when it happens, you're not going to be caught off guard. You're going to go, I knew it was coming. I think this is important. He makes this distinction between those of us in the light and those of us who are in the darkness. And he teases it out even more in verse 5. Look what he says. For you are all children of light. Children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. I, I often remind you guys, and I have to remind myself, of who we are. Of your identity. Right? People are struggling in our culture today to figure out who they are and what their identity is. Listen, you can add these two to your list. Somebody asks you who you are, you can say, I am a child of light. I'm a child of light. I'm a child of the day. And that means I see things differently because I'm not in the dark. I view the world differently. I view my future differently because I am in the light. I am in the day. But for those who don't love Christ, who are in the dark, that day is going to be a surprise. It's going to be a surprise. But for us, when it happens, we're going to say, yes, this is what I've been waiting for. The day is finally here. And there's a third thing he tells us about this day of the Lord. Number three, he tells us the day of the Lord will be sudden and unescapable. It is going to be sudden and unescapable. That's what he says in verse 3. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. 
You, you see those key words there? If you circle stuff in your journals, sudden destruction with no escape. Destruction with no escape. So for those who are in the dark on the day of the Lord, first, it's going to happen suddenly. It's going to happen quickly. While they're saying, peace and security. Everything's fine in my life. You ever talk to people like that? Everything's good. Everything's chill. We're, we're good. Don't, don't, need, don't need any of this God stuff. Everything's okay. This was actually a, probably a slogan in Rome. The Pax Romana, you guys ever heard that? I'm probably not saying it right. But the idea of the peace of Rome. The government's giving us peace. That's a joke. It wasn't for them, though. It was security. Not for the church, necessarily, but for the people in Rome, it was security. The government's got us covered. They're taking care of everything. Everything is fine. And yet, while everything is fine to them, suddenly the day of the Lord is going to come. And then it says, the second thing, that they won't be able to escape it. They're going to be trapped, boxed in. And he, he draws another picture for us. He talks about a, a woman in labor pains and how she's pregnant, how labor pains come on a woman and they can't escape them. I was there for four of those. Different reasons, different ones stand out in my mind. The first one is particularly stands out in my mind because of the ignorance that I had over the whole process. Elspeth standing in the kitchen doing dishes, everything's fine. Next minute, I know there was water all over the floor and contractions had begun. It was sudden and there was no escaping it. It was only one option and that was for that baby to be born. And that's what he's saying. It's going to be that way. It's going to be sudden and it's going to be inescapable. Only it's not going to be fun with the blessing of a baby. It's going to be a disaster for them. It's not a game. That day is not going to be like a video game where you get two more lives. It's done. There's no escaping. And it's a day of destruction, of total ruin that they can't escape. I don't know if you've ever been trapped somewhere and you, you couldn't escape. I only had that happen once where I actually thought I was having a panic attack. I was on a roller coaster. And we didn't even get all the way out of the little junction box. I mean, we're not even a foot off the ground. Like, we didn't even get out. And er, it stopped. And it wasn't even a roller coaster that had me strapped in. It was just the little bar. And after about 10 minutes sitting there, I started to feel very uncomfortable. And I didn't even know why. I was like, man, I'm like freaking out. Like, nothing's going to happen. But I couldn't escape. I felt trapped. And panic started to set in. And, and I think there's going to be a panic that is going to set in when people realize that they cannot escape this destruction and then if you don't mind, turn over to 2 Thessalonians because he fills out more for us what this day of destruction looks like. I don't know how vivid of a picture you have of what is going to happen on the day of the Lord. Uh, what's going to happen? It's going to be happy for us as we ascend, but this is how he describes it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at verse 5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. It's going to be righteous judgment. We want righteous judgment, right? Somebody steals something from you, you want them to get caught and have to pay you back, or if they hit your car, or, right? You want them to, the justice needs to be done. Well, this is going to be the day of righteous judgment, the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, 
for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. So the church is being afflicted, probably thrown in jail. I don't know whether people are being killed, but, but things aren't going well in the church. They are under persecution. And God's response is, don't worry, I'm going to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Verse 7, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, verse 8, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction that comes from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all of those who believe. Do you see those key words? I mean, those are some serious, serious words. Righteous judgment, repayment, flaming fire, vengeance, the punishment of eternal destruction. I mean, so this day of the Lord for them is going to be a surprise. It's going to come sudden. They won't be able to escape, and they will then enter eternal punishment, eternal destruction at the hand of God. Now, if you have that in your theology, God is everywhere equally all the time. He's either there to sustain life, to bless life, or to punish. He will be in hell, bring punishment, 24-7 for eternity on people who don't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think some of these people may mock us today for believing this, but they won't mock us on that day. And they may be thinking, peace and security forever is mine, but not on that day. Not on that day. And my friends, that, that is why we do pub church to give your friends an opportunity to interact with community, to hear us sing truth with faith, and to hear the gospel proclaimed clearly. Now listen, I am reformed through and through. I know that I would not be here today and I would not love Jesus if God did not act on me first. It's all him. But somehow he puts the responsibility on us to go and make disciples, to tell people about the gospel, and to warn them that there is a day of judgment coming. And so that is why we, for 10 years, have been trying to build friendships, trusting relationships with people who are still in the dark. That's why we do some of our groups of three in public places, so it gives us a chance to meet more people. This is why we do ghost Sundays at parks. This is why I said, have a Halloween party and invite your neighbors and friends. It's all for the same reason. We want to see people rescued from this day of the Lord. Because once it happens, it's game on, and there is no second chance after that. It's no, no joke. I know we talk about the fact that we are believers, but we're also not always believing. Either not believing fully or else not believing certain things. Do you believe this? I mean, I know this is not the kind of thing that churches preach often, right? It's not, it's not in our culture, that's for sure. You talk about a hell and people laugh, right? But it's going to happen. 
And it's going to be real, and it's going to be inevitable, and it's going to be unpredictable. And it's our joy to urgently love people and to share with them the hope that we have. On the day of the Lord, there's only going to be two groups of people. People that are in the dark, people who are in the light. People who are in the night, people who are in the day. Those who are surprised and those who are not surprised. Those who will not escape. And then verse 9 tells us, as the other group, which I trust you are in this morning, has not been destined for wrath. Do you see that in verse 9? Paul jumps around a little, but on that day, if you are in the light and in the day, you are not destined for wrath. And so it's good to ask ourselves, where do you fit? Are you in the dark or are you in the light? Are you in the day or are you in the night? Will you experience the punishment of eternal destruction? Or will you obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ? There's only two options. Only two. God's word is clear. We don't get there and then work out a deal with God. We either work the deal out now, or we don't work it out at all. He's the one that has to be appeased today through the shedding of his blood or you will be punished for your sin. So this is real. Besides loving people who are in the dark, there's some other things I think that God wants us to do so that we are not surprised by the day. It's not decode the Bible to figure out when he's coming. But there's some things he tells us to do. He tells us actually exactly what to do so that you will be prepared for the day of the Lord. Do you want to be prepared? I want to be prepared. So he tells us, you don't want to to be surprised. So here's what you do so you're prepared for the day of the Lord. And he's going to tell us four things to do. The first three are in the let us statements. So look at verse 6 with me. Here's what he's saying. This is so that you'll be ready. He wants you to be ready. And so he says, verse 6, So then, let us not sleep as others do. Don't sleep. People around us are spiritually sleeping. He says, don't be like them. Don't be a sleepy disciple. Don't be spiritually passive or drowsy. And then he says the opposite. He says, so then... Let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake. Be awake. Be alert. Spiritually alive. I know this may be a hard question to answer, but are you a sleepy disciple or an awake disciple? Are you slothful or vigilant? Assess the last week or two. Are you indifferent or are you alive? Are you awake and alive to the Spirit of God? Are you aware of Jesus' presence in your life day in and day out? Are you walking with him as you wait for his return? Or are you spiritually napping? Are you napping? 
I think there's days where I know I'm in the light. I'm a child of the light. I'm the child of the day. But I pull down the blinds to darken the room so I can take a nap. And I think that's what he's warning us of. He's saying you want to be ready for that day. You've got to be awake. You've got to be alert. Are you awake and are you alert? Because you are alert and awake to something. Did you know that? There's something that that gets you jazzed right? There's something that tickles your fancy, whatever that means. (laughs) And God knows that. And so he addresses that next in verse 7. This is what he says. Let's let's read the end of 6 and then read 7. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So the third thing he tells us to do is be sober. Be sober. And I don't think he is only talking about getting drunk on alcohol. In fact, I don't even know if that's really even what he's talking about at all. I'll show you why in a minute. But I think he's saying, let us not be addicted or controlled or consumed by anything that will cause you to be spiritually drowsy. Don't. Don't be consumed. Don't be immersed in things that hinder your awakeness to Jesus. I think if you could put it in a question, he would say, what are you drinking in? What are you drinking? What are you taking in? This goes back to the noise verses at the middle of chapter 4. What kind of noise are you taking in? What are you consuming? There's so many things that you can get a buzz over. Where are you going to get your buzz? That's what he's asking us. Where do you go to get a buzz? Paul is warning us, let us not get really intoxicated with all of these other things so that we fall asleep spiritually. And so to put these things off, I want you to look what he tells us to do instead in verses 8 and 9. He says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober. And then he doesn't say, by avoid going to the pub or to the party or to the liquor store. He doesn't go there. Instead, he addresses the issue. And the issue has to do with faith, love, and hope. So look at verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet of hope, the hope of salvation. So this is, this is the put on. Okay, so he's trying to help us. I don't know if you get up on different days and go, I just wish I were more alive spiritually. I wish I was more in tune with God and living for him and not be so drowsy spiritually. And so what he's saying here is, well, Stop drinking in things and getting a buzz from things that don't help you love God more. And instead, put on. Actually, the language here is having put on. You already have put these things on. Now, stir them up. Faith, stir up love, and stir up hope within you. That is what he's calling us to do. That's where this power comes from. It comes from faith and love and hope. And so... I return this morning to our faith chair, 
that we've talked about before. We've got to tease these out. Now, I don't know how much time any of you have given over the years thinking about, so what is faith really, and what is hope, and how are they different, and how are they the same? And it's, it's, uh, it would take weeks, honestly, to try to fill it out wholly, but I want to give you a, a little snapshot, four or five minutes of what hope is and what faith is and how that keeps us awake for the day when Jesus returns. And so we've talked about the, the, the chair representing faith. Remember, I've argued over the weeks that it's not just, oh, will this chair hold me up? Okay, then I'll sit in it. But it's the idea that Jesus comes along and he says to you, I have died on the cross for all of your sins. I have taken them as far as the east is from the west. I've plunged your sins down into the depths of the ocean. I've absorbed all of the wrath of God for you and took your punishment for your sin on the cross on my body. And I died, and then I rose from the dead. I ascended to heaven, and I'm now sitting on a throne of grace pleading my blood for your innocence so that you are completely clean. And faith is our response to that, saying, yes, I want that. I need that, right? And so we, so we sit on our, on our faith. We sit with Christ and we go, yes, Jesus, I, I believe that. I believe that you, you can save me from everything. And so that keeps us awake. We preach that to ourselves, right? This is how you stir it up. You, you preach the reality of what you believe, what you say your faith is in, in Jesus and in his death and his resurrection in your place and on your behalf. And that keeps you awake, right? Alert. It gives you a buzz. And then he talks about love next. And I think love is simply that response that we have to what he's done for us. I mean, how can you not love him when you think about what he's done for you? Well, it's easy to forget if we're sipping on other things. If we're not sober, but when we're sober and preaching the gospel to ourselves about what Christ has done, love follows. It stirs love in our hearts. I, I woke up on Thursday night, and I believe the Spirit just dropped into my head this one little phrase. It was just, isn't it wonderful that the only thing God really wants from you is that you just love him? I thought, yeah, it's good. I mean, really, that's the bottom line, right? He just wants us to love him, to love him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. And so we we sit in our faith, believing what Jesus has done for us. We look to the past. We put our faith in the past and his work on the cross for us. And then we respond in love for him. We ask the Spirit to stir our affections for him, our love for him, our zeal for him, and what he's done for us. And that keeps us awake. That keeps us alert. If you're, if you're living that way, you're, you're, you've got one eye up in the clouds. And one ear listening for the cry of an angel, right? And then he transitions to hope. He talks about the hope of your salvation. Now, most often in Scripture, the difference between hope and faith is that hope is forward-looking. Hope is a confidence in what God promises he's going to do. Faith often looks backwards. Hope often looks forward. Hope is smaller. Hope fits inside of faith because there's some faith that drives our hope. But the hope is there where we go, Jesus is going to return. And I believe it. And you start to rehearse and preach to yourself once again. What is coming? I mean, this is all about who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's doing right now. And then hope is, what is he going to do? He is going to come back. 
And so the way that Paul seems to be telling us to stay awake and be ready for him is to stir up our faith, to stir up our love, and to stir up our hope. And, and that's the way that we also then put to death or stop going after the other things to get drunk on. Does that make sense? So there's a war. You better believe there's a war every day. Are you going to stir up and be awake in your faith and your love and in your hope? Or are you going to go snacking on other things that offer that in part? And if you do, it'll be like eating too much turkey at Thanksgiving and you'll end up taking a long nap. Because that's what happens. We, we snack on the stuff that we're not supposed to, or maybe even too much of stuff that isn't bad. And all that does is prevent us from stirring up faith and love and hope. And so God tells us to do that. Stir it up. That, that's the reality. That's the command. That's the, that's the action for us. He's coming back, so what do we do? We stir up faith, we stir up love, and we stir up hope of our salvation. Because Jesus took the wrath that we deserved. So there is no more wrath coming, right? See, here's the reality. The day of the Lord for you already happened. It happened at Calvary. Your day of the Lord is in the past because Jesus endured the day of the Lord for you so that when he comes back, there's no wrath for you. But the day of the Lord has not happened for others, has it? But it's happened for us. He did it already. He absorbed the day of the Lord for you and I by taking the wrath of God in our place. And so then he says, lastly, funny, same exact thing he ended with last week. Last week he went from gospel to encouragement in community. And so today he, he leads us through a gospel conversation and then how does he end? Encouragement in community. It's almost like he's thinking about gospel and community and mission. Maybe. I think he is. So here's what he says. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And I love that because as Tyler Jordan and I have been praying over the last three or four years, one of the things we carry on our hearts, honestly, probably the most, is that everyone in the church is in some kind of small group where you are able to get encouraged. And I think we're at a larger percentage now of people in groups than we've ever had. And I think all of our groups, almost all the groups, 90% of the groups meet every week. And this is why. Listen, you can't stay awake unless somebody else is poking you. I see it happen here on Sundays all the time. <laughs> you drift off, your spouse pokes you. <laughs> you need people to poke you awake. And that's what he's saying. So you need other people to encourage you and to build you up in your faith. On your own, your faith will only grow so much. Your hope will only grow so much. Your love will only grow so much. But in community with others, oh, they, they can help you. It's a place for you to confess that you have an addiction problem. Right? We're not sober, are we? I'm, I'm sipping on all kinds of stuff all week long that I am wasting time doing. So we're all in recovery groups, I guess. Confessing where we're stuck and trying to get help to grow. And so that's what he's saying. So I, I, I just want to encourage us to keep doing it. I know week in, week out, meeting in a small group doesn't always fit the schedule, but keep it up. You need the encouragement. Your soul needs to be encouraged. Sadly, I know too many people 
that this was the difference between them drifting. I have too many friends that are not walking with Jesus because they neglected community. That was it. So don't be like that. You need the encouragement, so let's pursue the encouragement together. So the day of the Lord will happen. It's coming. It's coming. It's going to happen suddenly, quickly, but we should be ready, right? We should be alert, warning others, loving others who are in the dark, but at the same time stirring up our faith, stirring up our hope, and stirring up our love. I want to ask you just to take a minute um, just to reflect on these verses and maybe to ask yourself the question, is there something that you know is giving you a buzz that shouldn't be? I don't know the way to put it. Is there something you go to that you know this is really not helping me in my faith, hope, and love? Or this is just distracting me from my faith, hope, and love? Right? So I just take a minute. I'd love to have you just you can talk to other people in the room if you want to about it. Pray. Jot down some notes. Think through what it looks like for you to be sober-minded. And then we'll, uh, we're going to sing and we're going to take the Lord's Supper together this morning. So let's just take a minute. Seek the Lord together.